I wonder if Mary held her little baby in those first few months after he was born there in Bethlehem and told him the story of all that had happened to her and to all of them leading up to his birth. And when he was two or three, four years old, and they had to travel to Egypt, and he was asking why they had to leave, I wonder if she told the story again of all that had happened to her and to all of them leading up to his birth. And maybe years later, when he was about 12 years old, and they made that visit to Jerusalem, and Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for a few days, and they were terrified, only to find him back at the elders, or at the temple, talking to the elders. And if in her fear and in her anger, she tried to explain to him why he just can't do that to her and to Joseph, and she told him the story again. The story of what had happened to her cousin Elizabeth and Zechariah and the angel that had appeared to her when she was just a few years older than him at that point, just 14 or 15 herself, going about her daily chores, living her life when that holy encounter happened and about what happened when she visited Elizabeth and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaping and the song that she herself had sung. I don't know how often Mary told Jesus the stories, but what we do know is that it's probably a story that she told and that Luke probably got most of his story from her. You see, Luke was a Gentile. He wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus. But from what we can tell, he was an investigator of sorts. And once he becomes a follower of Jesus, he did all kinds of interviews to find out as much as possible and to put those stories down so that they would not be forgotten. He says as much in the opening verses of his gospel, it seemed fitting for me, Luke writes, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you've been taught. And then... Luke begins to tell us about the story of all that had happened leading up to Jesus' birth. And of all the Gospels, Luke really gives us the most details of all the nitty-gritty of what happened. And, and from what we can tell, he probably got these stories by talking to those who were there, and especially Mary and her relatives. And it strikes me that the story that Luke learns is a story of holy encounters, of where they happened and when they happened and how people responded when they did and what difference that made. The first holy encounter Luke tells us about, of course, is Zacharias, and it takes place there in the most holy place on earth, in the temple in Jerusalem. That day, it was Zechariah's turn to enter that most holy place and to burn the incense. And that wasn't an everyday kind of affair for Zechariah. He may have done that once before in his career, but it was this most sacred ritual. And it's in the midst of that sacred ritual in a holy place that Zechariah has an encounter 
there's some sort of angel and a message that makes no sense of all, a message about his barren wife having a baby, a message that's similar to the stories of their forefathers, just like Sarah would have Isaac and Hannah, who was barren, would have Samuel, and Samson's mother, who was barren, would have a child. Now it was going to happen to Elizabeth. The barren woman would have a child. And this child would play a key role in salvation story, and his name will be John, and he will help prepare the way for the Messiah. That's the message that Zechariah receives here in that holy place in the midst of of a holy ritual. Only he's doubtful at first, isn't he? Maybe he wonders if the incense is just a little too thick in the air. Maybe he wonders if he's imagining it all. Maybe he's had just too many years of unanswered prayers to get his hopes up anymore. I don't know, but he's not ready to bite. How can this be? How how can I know for certain, he asks. And so he's given a sign. His tongue is tied. He will be unable to talk until all these things take place. That's the first encounter Luke tells us about. The second holy encounter doesn't really happen in the most holy place known or in any place even remotely important for that matter or in the midst of a sacred ritual with anyone particularly important. The second holy encounter happens in an insignificant village called Nazareth, way up north in this rural area of Israel known as Galilee, to a young, engaged girl that nobody has ever even heard of named Mary. And apparently it happened in the most mundane of moments. There wasn't anything worth remembering about what Mary was doing at the time, which means she was probably doing the same sort of thing she does every day, helping her mom out at home, dreaming about her future with Joseph, dreaming about how things will be in this world, going to the market, feeding the sheep, mending the clothes. She was probably dusty with a little bit of sweat on her brow and And out of nowhere, one afternoon, in the midst of the most normal day, there was this holy encounter. An angel appears and tells her about her baby. How can this be, she asks, with a little different spirit than Zechariah asked. And it's a good question, and it's better than Zechariah's question, I think, because Zechariah knew all the ancient stories. I mean, it's one thing for a barren woman to get pregnant. It's another thing altogether to somehow become pregnant as a virgin. Well, the angel says it will be an act of God, which seems even harder to believe, but unlike Zechariah's skepticism, which leads to his silence, Mary just accepts what she hears. Maybe it's because she's still young and she's still naive enough to believe in God working in this world. I don't know. But one way or another, she says, let it be. And it was. That's the second holy encounter that Luke tells us about there in a forgotten corner of Israel to somebody no one had ever even heard of. But it's not the last holy encounter. 
In the final divine encounter that leads up to Jesus' birth, there's actually no angels this time and no mystical moment in a temple and no moment off by yourself in the midst of your day. This encounter happens within the visit of a friend and family. It happens within the midst of hospitality. Mary travels way down south to Judea to visit her much older cousin Elizabeth, who's now six months along. And according to Luke, Elizabeth has actually been in seclusion most of those six months of her pregnancy. And I imagine there was a kind of loneliness for Elizabeth after all that time. So Mary's visit, this young, vibrant cousin of hers, it was probably a balm for Elizabeth's soul. What we know is that when Mary shows up at the door and they greet one another, the baby in Elizabeth leaps and is filled with the very spirit of God, which makes it, yes, another holy encounter. It's this divine moment that happens between these two women who come together and share something special in their lives. And it's there between these two new lives that are growing in their wombs. And in this holy moment, it is filled with the joy of friendship and blessings spoken and songs sung. It's the kind of holy encounter that only happens when we're with one another, with friends and family, sharing our homes and our lives. And so as I think about these three different encounters that lead up to Jesus's birth, it strikes me that together they may just be telling us about when and how Christ will come into our world and how it can happen in all kinds of different places and different moments. And just like Zechariah, it certainly can happen for us in the midst of holy buildings and sacred rituals, can't it? Like those times when we are able to gather here and to read and sing and worship together. And I know that many of you, like me, are really missing that gathering together as part of our rhythm of our life. And, and maybe, if nothing else, this year, this strange year of ours, is helping us to realize just how much being together matters for our soul. We need holy space. We need sacred rhythms and rituals. Together, those things shift something in us. They they help us pause and remember something we need to remember, and they help us do some things that we need to do. That's why gathering together as part of a church matters and why it remains so important. We do all these things not because of some divine obligation, but because gathering together as a church opens us up to the possibility of a holy encounter and the way that nothing else in our life actually does. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I think of some of the most significant times when God broke through to me, when I think of some of those times when Christ seemed to be born anew in my life, they happened in holy places in the midst of holy ritual. They happened in chapels and sanctuaries of all kinds in the midst of worship, just like it did for Zechariah. But the story that leads up to Jesus' birth also reminds us that chapels and sanctuaries are not the only place 
where divine encounters happen, is it? Mary's encounter actually may be telling us that the the most holy events of our world take place in some of the most ordinary moments, far removed from sanctuaries and clergy and high holy days. In fact, it may just be that the most holy encounter you have in your life won't have anything at all to do with church or your pastor. It it may just be that moment when some nudging from God comes your way, some whisper from a holy messenger interrupts your daily routine. Maybe you're just doing what you do every Tuesday afternoon, working and dreaming and your hands are dirty and your mind is full and your schedule is full, but in the midst of all that is so ordinary, you begin to recognize the presence of someone holy or something holy there in that ordinary day. And that presence, it starts speaking to you about your life, about what has been, and about what will be. That's what happened for Mary. And it seems to me that Mary's holy encounter is also telling us that that the most important divine encounters of our world might just happen way, way off the beaten path of religiosity and forgotten back corners in some worn-down rural town or some forgotten urban ghetto that nobody thinks much about except the kind of thing that was said about Nazareth in those days. What good can come from Nazareth, the saying went. And yet, Nazareth-like places are apparently the kind of place where world-changing, holy encounters happen. The final divine encounter that Luke tells us about, of course, doesn't happen in a holy place in the midst of sacred ritual, and it doesn't happen when someone is off by themselves. This encounter happens when two people gather together, family and friend coming together. And I imagine some of you have experienced that along the way, haven't you? When a visit with a friend made the spirit in you leap for joy, or the visit of a family member was a kind of divine grace for you. I mean, for all the struggles of relationships and friendships, for hurt, and forgiveness and renewal of of families who can feel so different and yet so profoundly connected to who we are, we sometimes forget that it is through and in one another that we may just receive the most holy encounters. C.S. Lewis actually once said that God meets us in all kinds of ways, but above all, God works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other, he writes. Sometimes unconscious carriers. And he's right, I think. I mean, we forget just how powerful our presence can be for one another. And we also forget just what a gift we have in the people in our family. But after months of isolation, Elizabeth 
heard Mary's greeting and knew she had just received a divine gift of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you, she says to Mary with this deep joy, and blessed is the baby in you. As soon as I heard your voice, the child in me leaped with joy. And with all those blessings in the air, Mary begins to sing her inspired Magnificat. Sometimes, sometimes the holy encounters we need the most. It will happen when we gather together with friend and with family. This is the story that Luke learns and wrote down so it wouldn't be forgotten and is passing on to us the story of how it came about that Jesus was born. And so this Advent, if you find yourself longing for some kind of divine encounter, for something holy to break into your life, then maybe pay attention to what Luke is saying here. It might happen for you around a campfire Christmas Eve in our parking lot when we gather together and sing. Or it might happen when you're going about your normal day, wrapping and planning, working and cleaning. Or it might happen in the visit of a friend or family. God might be coming to you in any one of those moments. So watch for them. And when they happen, don't hold them at a skeptical distance the way Zechariah did. Embrace them. Trust their goodness to you. And as time passes, don't forget about them. Maybe write them down. If for no other reason than you can keep reminding yourself of when and how God broke into your story. Amen.